Welcome to Chaos Theory Tales Askew. Theory Tales Askew presents part two of The Mythic Pixicide by El Christopher Del Guercio, as presented by The Chaotic Centurion. Mrs. McDonald attested to watching the broadcast that fateful night from her bedroom as Barry Winkingrin hawked imitation wall tapestries from the Middle East to Middle Americans, passing them off as the genuine article. She recalled the way he regaled his audience with the details of his fictional trip to Yemen, the bazaar where he discovered the three-eyed merchant who sold him the tapestries, and the painstaking care with which he personally watched each new tapestry woven. But Ida MacDonald knew her hanging cloth. She'd spent a goodly amount of time at the Kasbah since her conversion to the Islamic faith, and she wasn't about to be duped by this cousiner's flim-flammery. The longer she watched, the more incensed Ida MacDonald grew, so much that, a la a la, she got smiting mad, and, like a haggard backwoods witch, cooked up a good old-fashioned malediction to excuse this lying devil of a man from this world and hasten him on to the next. She thought up the worst thoughts she could think and thunk them right at Barry Winkingrin's overripe melon head. And what do you know? It worked. Upon hearing the woman's tear-stained confession, Sheriff J.T. Arnott of the Taradiddle County Police Department politely escorted her from the station house and insisted that she go home and get some rest. Don't let your head get heavy over this, ma'am. It, it wasn't your fault. Hell, we've all heaped some dark thoughts on other folks at one time or another. The good Lord fixes it so that we think better of them by and by, and all that evil don't amount to squat he assured her. But Ida MacDonald reiterated that she wished the man dead and demanded to be taken into custody. Sheriff Arnott made a final attempt to assuage the woman's guilt. Ma'am, wishing for evil is about as useful as a bucket of puss. Unless you get taking some action on the subject, ain't nothing bad going to happen to nobody, he told her. And pardon my saying so, ma'am, but you don't look like you're in any condition to be acting evil. Listen here now. You're an old woman who got herself confused. Why don't you go home and forget about all this nonsense? But Ida MacDonald wouldn't leave it alone. Something must be done with me, Sheriff. I cursed that man. It doesn't matter that it was not my hand that struck him down. I must be punished. Sheriff Arnott drew a heavy sigh. You truly believe this story of yours, and you're not going to let this go until I do something, are you? No, I am not, she said staunchly. All right, then. You win. From the county psychiatric ward, Ida MacDonald asserted until the day of her passing a week hence that she was not crazy, only a murderer. Her family didn't buy either charge and reasoned that one sweet old woman's minor bout with dementia was hardly a cause for her to be locked away in an asylum like a common kook. So when Ida died in her bed one quiet night, something broke in her only daughter. Elise MacDonald lay on her mother's bed in the house where she grew up, 
sorting through a life in a shoebox of old photographs. Elise at the bus stop on the first day of school, on her eighth birthday party at the beach, on her wedding day. She saw her mom in every one, and her dark eyes welled up. She pounded her fists down into the mattress. It was all she could think to do. The 13-inch zenith with the rabbit ears sitting on the nightstand in the corner delivered the local news coverage of the 11th annual Chili for Charity cook-off, benefiting the children's hospital. T-shirts sold at the event urged contestants to make their chili hot for a tot, and some giggles were had at the expense of Father Freely, the local pastor who, well-intentioned though he was, really should have rethought his choice of attire. The chief of police was a celebrity competitor in the chili-eating contest. J.T. Arnott was a mound of a man, 365 pounds and growing by the hour. He wore his brown ceremonial police uniform with its ivory belt matching double-shouldered rope sash that he had mothballed since he was a rookie. His belt, coupled with thin strips of white rope around his torso struggling to contain his girth, lent him the appearance of a gigantic pot roast. Elise MacDonald watched while the corpulent civil servant plunged into his first bowl of chili and gleefully shoveled in the five-alarm concoction spoon by heaping spoonful. When he'd emptied his fourteenth bowl at the ten-minute mark, his head slowly rose from the blotched crimson tablecloth. His eyes rolled around and he plugged his mouth with one hand. The nearest onlookers covered themselves hastily in anticipation, almost giddy at the thought of being splashed with the sheriff's vomit as if they were attending a redneck version of a Gallagher concert. But Sheriff Arnott, with his cheek still crammed with the last spoonfuls of unswallowed chili, let his head fall back between his shoulder blades while he snorted and laughed. But instead of vomitus, the group was treated to a meaty mixture of chili and saliva erupting from his mouth and nose. The crowd was duly amused, if a bit disappointed. The mayor raised the sheriff's fat hog hands in victory. He wore that chili slathered over his dewlap of a neck and other face folds as proudly as a congressional medal. Elise MacDonald saw it all in black and white. The man who took her mother away forever was now deliriously enraptured before her eyes in a bacchanalian display of excess that caused her to become ill with rage. With her mother's inherited temper, she lashed out with a ferocity only reserved for major league umpires, bad drivers, and in-laws. The young woman f- spit fiery expletives and fired a wild flurry of obscene gestures and swinging motions at the image of the sheriff on the screen in a release of frustrative energy akin to the splitting of the emotional atom. A thunderclap roared across the hazy summer sky, and Sheriff Arnott, amidst the gaps of, of the crowd, clutched his chest and fell headlong into the lap of the mayor's 17-year-old daughter, Sugar Bell. Some further histrionics from Elise and the sheriff's body writhed on the grass, seized in an unseen vice until his heart burst from within his chest like a tomato thrown against the sidewalk. Filled with guilt, Elise turned herself into the authorities the very next day, and that's how the proverbial ball got a rolling. This story was too bizarre to be ignored and too juicy to be secreted. That's why it had legs. I don't know if anyone actually believed the legend, but it didn't stop quite a few people from playfully testing the waters. I guess some people will try anything once. And once they tried, what they uncovered quickly reached urban mythic status. They found out that just one person could muster up the requisite stockpiles of anger to dispatch another on the TV screen with only their thoughts. But it took some real focus. 
A quick kick or a slap was all most folks could do at first, and it was all pretty harmless for a while. A party gag, fun for a laugh, but good news travels fast. Six or seven people together could easily administer a severe beatdown, but six or seven hundred or hundred thousand? Well, that would result in a grave and permanent case of death every time. You just can't bridle that many bad vibes. The legend traveled by word and wire, and some people started getting good at it, started finding the zone, doing damage, making it look easy. Everyone was getting into the swing of it. Even school children sang about it while they jumped rope on the playground. With a black eye here and a charley horse there, head contusions are amusing. Old MacDonald wished for harm. E-I-E-I-O. If you enjoyed this story, you may find more at Chaos Theory Tales Askew, located at www.genspace.com, spelled G-E-N-S-P-A-C-E dot com. Just click the top eyeball. You'll know what I mean.